And now, for your entertainment pleasure, an audio murder mystery starring a full cast of suspects. The Death of Dr. Davidson. What message does Dr. Davidson have from the grave? Listen closely and find out. To my family, if you are listening to this recording, then events have transpired much as I expected and rather hoped they would. That I am deceased and you have discovered this recording and the files I wish to make public. Therefore, this recording shall serve as my final will and testament, superseding any previous wills in existence. No doubt you are confused by this turn of events, so allow me to fully explain the circumstances that have brought you here. It has long been my belief that, to quote King Lear, How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. I worked to provide an excellent upbringing for my three children, and through shrewd investments and careful economy, I was able to increase my fortune to the point that it became, to my chagrin, a source of enmity amongst my family rather than cause for gratitude. Instead of raising three bright, capable young people to go out and do good in the world, as I had, I had the misfortune of witnessing three dissolute and lazy individuals emerge from my care, and the further disgrace of watching their lives disintegrate into the indulgent self-pity which I tried so strenuously to discourage in them. Before I continue with the distribution of my estate, you must be aware of certain facts. Last winter, I became ill with a severe chest infection, or so I thought. After treating it myself and seeing the symptoms only worsen, I finally consulted one of my former colleagues in Harley Street, who delivered to me the grim diagnosis, cancer of the lung and at such an advanced state as to assure me that within the year I would be dead. I did not share this news with my family, knowing that none of you would likely have cared. It did, however, cause me to start putting my affairs in order, and to start considering how I should like my estate to be divided. Like King Lear regarding his ungrateful children, I opted to devise a test of sorts, to see which, if any of you, were deserving of my generosity. I carefully considered the facts as they pertain to each of you, and here are my conclusions. Sadie, you may not be the eldest, but in any inventory of a father's deepest regrets, one must begin with the child who has caused him the most grief. Your thoughtless, immoral behavior was beyond reprehensible and forever besmirched the Davidson family name. Perhaps age and maturity have shown you 
why it was necessary for you to give up your child and marry someone as quickly as possible. But, given your misplaced devotion to this home for unwed mothers that you so desperately want, I have little hope that you will ever understand. Oh, what a terrible thing to say. Even from the grave he torments me. My only regret is that in my shock and dismay, I foolishly rushed to exhort Oliver Forster to make an honest woman out of you. Forster was my solicitor for many years, and though it shames me now to admit it, it was his information, garnered from a privileged conversation with another client of his, and then illegally communicated to me, that allowed me to sell my shares ahead of Black Thursday, and thereby prevent the loss of my fortune. He is doubly guilty of both violating attorney-client privilege and of insider trading. And in my estimation, he ought to be disbarred. I should never have allowed such an unscrupulous ne'er-do-well into my family. But Sadie, your situation made me desperate to cover up the secret as quickly and quietly as possible. He used the information I gave him and grew even richer after the crash. But I'm the ne'er-do-well. As for you, Marlena, had I known that your summer holiday to Barcelona would result in a scandalous elopement with one of the most worthless young men I have ever encountered, I should never have let you set foot outside this house. He is an exotic and dashing fellow, to be sure. But for many years, my scruples against interfering in a marriage that was, unfortunately, legally done and fettered by our general acquaintance, prevented me from investigating the scoundrel as I should have. As I told everyone at dinner tonight, your husband is wanted by the Spanish authorities in relation to an elaborate extortion scheme he perpetrated against a minor member of the Spanish royal family. He is a con artist, plain and simple, and had I investigated him under his real name of Enrique Herrero the moment you revealed it to me, I like to think I could have given you ample evidence for an annulment of your marriage. I do not know the nature of your feelings for this criminal, but I have long suspected he is not the first immoral, untrustworthy, and wholly inappropriate character you've thrown your lot in with. I believe you intended to marry Oliver Forster before you went to Barcelona, although you both concealed this from me at the time. I shouldn't like to think his marriage to your sister caused you to elope with this Herraro fellow. But if, if it did, I can take no blame for it. You made your choice in a willful, emotional way that would have made your mother ashamed of you. And now you must live with the consequences. And I have... Rodney, you have always been a disappointment to me, being the most dissolute young man and now an entirely dissipated drunkard of more than forty. Either of my daughters equal two of you, and it is my eternal shame that I was unable to produce an heir worthy of carrying on the Davidson name. <laughs> I say, don't beat around the bush, father. 
Tell us your true feelings. Regardless, you must be aware that when you came to me last winter, having canceled your sailing trip and offered to attend me during my illness, I saw for perhaps the first time a latent maturity and evidence of good breeding in you that I had always dared to hope were bound to emerge. Imagine then my dismay upon hearing that the reason for this new-found filial devotion was that you wished to marry a showgirl you had met at a review show on the Brighton Pier. Having disabused you of that notion, I was not unaware of your resentment towards me. No doubt you thought that by coming to me last month and asking my permission to court my secretary, Miss Pangiatis, that you had offered me a potential daughter-in-law who was a shade more respectable than your previous choice. I was sorry to have to disabuse you of that notion as well. But I can now admit that I also held back from you another crucially important and shocking piece of information. It pains me to relate the particulars. But in investigating Miss Pangiatis prior to her employment here, I discovered... Not only is she poor, and likely a scheming gold digger, but she is also, I regret to say, the natural daughter of your sister, Sadie. I do not believe she is aware of this connection to our family, or else I doubt she would have been so eager to attempt to sway her grandfather's affections in her direction. But you need to know this truth, before you proceed any further with the pursuit of a woman who is, in fact, your niece. In the spirit of familial obligation, I did endeavor to learn her character and offered her many chances to provide the kind of loving and dedicated support that anyone worthy of being called my granddaughter would have to demonstrate. But alas, like her mother, aunt, and yourself... She, too, failed me. Every attempt to find solace in her companionship resulted in my having to bolster her rather than the other way around. She, quite simply, was not a comfort when I needed her. And so my hope is that she will never know of her bloodline and may never make a claim against my estate. I have never been so ashamed to be born into this man's family. I'm sorry, Mama, but I I can't say that I'm not grateful to have been raised by the Pangiotis family instead. Finally, you may wonder at my outburst of last evening, and why I chose to publicly berate all of you. It is simply this. I wanted to give my children one last chance to redeem themselves. If any of you had come to my study after the event and begged my forgiveness. If any of you had pleaded with me for a reconciliation, I would have relented. If my sons-in-law, either of them, had come to me and offered apologies, I would have stayed my hand. In other words, if any of you had shown your father the love and respect he is due, all of this unpleasantness would have been avoided. I would have revealed the nature of my illness, and I would have been prepared to let the cancer take its natural course. 
I would have gone to my heavenly reward with my last will and testament intact, providing for each of you as I had always intended. If you, Kitty, had tried to come to me as a wife should, I would have forgiven you. But if the threat of divorce and disinheritance weren't motive enough to make you reconsider the error of your ways, then I was and am prepared to adhere to the original conditions of my previous will. Since you and I have not been married ten years as of yet, you are entitled to precisely nothing, and that is what you shall receive. That's what you think. The only person in this house who behaved as she ought was Miss Higginbotham, whom I suspect and hope you have to thank for finding this message. Not wanting to leave such important files to be found by either of my two sons-in-law, I had to devise a way to alert the proper authorities to their location. If you are listening to this recording, then my plan was a success. That's who I heard him talking to then. Himself. Regarding this same message. I did worry that perhaps passages from King Lear were beyond the intellectual abilities of Miss Higginbottom. But I trusted that an intelligent person of my own sex would be present to put the pieces together. While I am grateful to Miss Higginbottom, whom I can hear outside my door this very moment, delivering me my cocoa as she has done every night for thirty years, <laughs> the reliable old biddy, I can only express my deep Deep disappointment at this piteous state of affairs, that a simple-minded, doddering old servant of the lower classes should show more loyalty to me than any of my own family. Oh, Hannah, how perfectly awful of him to say such things. But as this recording demonstrates, none of you showed the slightest bit of loyalty to one so worthy of it. Not one of you came to me to soothe my anger and repent of your bad behavior. Not one of you thought for a moment about how you had abused me for so many years. And so I proceeded with my plan, as I had warned all of you I would. Therefore, not only does this recording serve as my new last will and testament, bequeathing all my worldly goods and entire estate to the Church of England Temperance Society. But I furthermore make it publicly known that I, Dr. James Robert Davidson of Wakefield Manor, took my own life on the evening of 14th August, 1938. You may consult with Dr. Bishop of Harley Street who will confirm that the cancer invading my body had advanced beyond the help of medical science. He has been provided with radiographs to render the diagnosis irrefutable, and will of course confirm my own assessment that had I not taken this course of action this evening, my life would have been prolonged by only a few more months at most. Suicide, however negates the remaining life insurance policy that I have left in the safe 
which I have left open, so that you may all well and truly know that there is not a single penny left to any of you. The other contents of the safe are, of course, part of my estate, and have been itemized on a notarized document left to the care of my solicitor. Should any of you feel these items are yours for the taking, let me assure you, they are not. In the event, I have instructed my solicitor to report their absence to the police as theft. Lastly, the method I used was the administration of prussic acid into my cocoa, the empty vial of which I threw out the window and into the shrubs beneath, where anyone who cares to look may discover it, along with the paper upon which I wrote the King Lear quotation. I describe these facts so as to avoid any possibility of one of you being charged with my murder. Consider this my last gift to you, as undeserving as all of you are, because you will certainly get nothing more from me. And so there we are. This is simply unbelievable. I don't know what to say. How tragic is all this? He killed himself. His last act on earth was perhaps more selfish and cold-hearted than anything he ever did before. Unbelievable. What if you hadn't discovered this recording, Inspector? How on earth did you find it, by the way? Dr. Davidson left us some clues involving a form of secret handwriting and, as he stated, a quote from King Lear. Something Hannah told me about the little games he used to like to play gave me the notion that perhaps he had hidden certain information in a secret location. You know how your father always loved puzzles and riddles? King Lear, the Shakespeare play? Yes, Dr. Davidson wrote the line. I am a man more sinned against than sinning. You see... Oh, for God's sake. What a petulant man. And in finding that line in the book, I found another slip of paper directing me to the hidden files. And this recording. What a cowardly, vicious thing to do. To make his suicide look like a murder and conceal the truth behind tricks and puzzles. Oh, come now. He gave us a gift, remember? He told us he offed himself just so none of us will be charged. He just happened not to care if the proof of it were never found. It is, perhaps, the most extraordinary suicide I have ever seen. This recording, however, according to the family solicitor, may be considered his legal last will and testament. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but it need not have been witnessed by anyone to be considered valid. I'm very sorry to say, you have all been disinherited. Well, I don't know about you lot, but I could use a cup of tea. I'll just go put the kettle on. Excuse me, Inspector, let me just get by you. I must say, I've never seen one of these dictaphone thingies up close before. Amazing, isn't it, how his voice got recorded into all these little grooves and the wax. How marvellous, it's such a small cylinder. And, oh, oh, my goodness gracious oh, oh, what a clumsy fool I am. Oh, my heavens, if I could just reach it. Oh, dear me. Hannah. Do be careful, you'll burn yourself. Don't go in after it, Hannah. Look, the wax is all melting away.
Epilogue That evening, McTavish stands out on the front steps with Hannah as the guests depart. First to leave are Marlena and Oliver, arm in arm. Let me shake your hand, Inspector. That was some fantastic detective work you did, discovering the truth. I can't thank you enough, Inspector. Well, thank you, Mrs... Uh, forgive me. Are you and Mr. Forrester... We're leaving for a long overdue holiday together in France. And when we come back, we'll both begin divorce proceedings. So we can finally get married. Oh, I see. I... I don't know what to say, is Mrs. Forrester. It's perfectly fine with me, Inspector. We three discussed it this evening, and we agreed that it's time we faced the truth. I never should have married Oliver, no matter what my father said. And I should have come clean years ago. I'd have been disbarred and possibly gone to prison for a spell. But I would have married the love of my life. And Mr. Smythe? I'm sure he'll grant me a divorce before he gets deported. Sergeant Roy took him to the station, did he not? He'll stop by and make sure he understands what's expected of him. Well, then, my congratulations to you both. But may I ask, Mrs. Forrester, what will you do now? We're going to stay on here. The others have agreed not to sell the manor and to allow my mother and I to transform it into the home for unwed mothers like she always wanted. And they're keeping me on as well. Not as a servant, Hannah, but as a member of our family. That's wonderful news. I'm delighted to hear it. I confess, however, that I'm surprised Mrs. Davidson agreed, all things considered. Mrs. Davidson is going to end up right where she wants to be. She and Rodney are getting married. No. She'll go from being Mrs. Davidson to Mrs. Davidson. And with Rodney's share of the estate, as specified in my father's former will, she'll be as rich as she ever was. Indeed. The guests depart, and Sadie and Dulcie return indoors, leaving McTavish and Hannah out on the stairs. That was quite a fortunate accident you had, Miss Higginbotham, destroying the only copy of Davidson's new will. Oh, I know. Funny how fate works, isn't it? One might think, well, let's just say, one would be forgiven for thinking that you intentionally destroyed that cylinder, knowing that without it, the original will would stand, and the family would inherit Dr. Davidson's estate. Oh, come on now, Inspector. I'm just a simple-minded daughter and old servant from the lower classes. How could I have ever thought of anything half so clever as that? And thus concludes the death of Dr. Davidson. This production has starred the vocal talents of Actively Retro as Dr. Davidson, Alexa YVO as Dulcie, Castaway as Rodney, Carlos Cerujo as Harrison, Eve's Garden as Hannah, Gracie's Grove as Marlena, Hank Miller as Sergeant Roy, Josie Edwards as Sadie, Monica Kelly as Kitty, Terry Shepard as Oliver, with Quincy Speaks and Anderson Stinson III as Inspector McTavish. 
Written, directed, and produced by Eve Elliott. Sound effects by Ari Shaman. And I am your narrator, In My Hands Audio. We hope you enjoyed this production.